Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast, and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items, like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. You didn't say on the uh, you didn't say on the Bible Bistro. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love that. It was almost like a the karaoke version. Like a Barry Manilow. I I should do (laughs) I should do it to the uh, to the theme song, but I can't remember the theme song off our head and off the top of my head. So Okay. Anyway. We should listen to that to really get us kind of in the mood into the into the correct vibe for the vibe of being in the bistro Mm -hmm. the bistro state of mind so how are you today ryan you didn't say you're the ryan half of brian ryan and brian's bible bistro i am the ryan half of ryan and brian's bible bistro brian half right yes and together together we are oh my gosh (laughs) we anyway we have it we've introduced ourselves and we're back and this is what are we episode 97 98 we're getting up there man on that century mark that century mark 100 episodes of Mm -hmm. pure magic am i right brian Mm -hmm. yeah and everybody's thinking as we what keep are we gonna talking. What are we going to do for the 100th episode? We keep talking about this. I don't we're know. Gonna we're going to get a DJ back some horn there. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> we're yeah. we're going to talk about how things orange, have changed since then. Balloons. Yes. So. All, all, of, all of the above. But we're back. <laughs> Last week we had a... Oh my a gosh, stop talking. Last week... <laughs> Yeah, that great episode about yeah, uh, the gospel. We yeah. had some great texts and some messages. Uh, yeah. And then before that, we had some John Weatherly. Yep. Uh, and before that, we had a uh, guest, Jody Owens, uh, yes. who has a learning retreat coming up here very soon. Yeah. Uh, so this will be, be there. We're going to be there. And learning. you can you can be there, too. It yeah, is the I last. Think still, I think there's still room right now. I you, think there's a... Yeah. As of right now, when we're recording this, there's still, I think, a couple spots available, yep. but it's at the end of March. You can be a part of that. It's in Southern Indiana, and it'll be uh, almost a full week. You go Monday, leave Friday, looking at the uh, David narratives in First and Second right. Samuel. So if you like that episode, or if you haven't listened to this episode, go back and take a, uh, a listen, mm-hmm. and then see, you know, look at your calendar. I was actually talking to somebody who else was going to be there this past week, one of our regular listeners, and uh, he was talking about how excited he is that he's going to see us. Us as well as well, everybody's excited to see us. Am I right? <laughs> well, I think he's mostly excited to see Jody Owens. <laughs> it's like, oh, you guys are gonna be there too, so that's that's good. <laughs> well, Something we'll be like celebrating that. 100, we might be close to 100 episodes while yeah, we're there. Wow, wow. mind blowing! But anyway, we are back today. Out. We've burned a lot of time already <laughs> wasting talking about nothing this episode. So, what are we gonna talk about today? Well, I thought 
I'd have you do the talking as right. what mostly happens. But as we are, <laughs> as you are telling me, we're going to be looking at Mark and some yeah, things Mark going a. on in Mark. Something you've been teaching through and yeah, preaching through. Well, I, I was thinking about this, and so don't don't tune out if you're somebody who's already listened to my sermon on Mark eight because I'm going to do some additional things. But I was thinking, you know, I, was, I don't think I've ever really explicitly said this, but I have kind of a discipline that I use when I when I preach. Um, and, and some people go through a lectionary. Uh, you know, our our tradition hasn't hasn't in the past done that, though. There are some people now who use the lectionary. But uh, you know, what happens is a lot of times if you're just kind of choosing your sermons at random or whatever, um, you know, you end up sticking toward the things that are easier to easier to talk about. <laughs> right. So kind of my discipline is I always preach an Old Testament book and then a New Testament book, and I usually hang out in one book, either a section or I'll focus on. Uh, one person's life, something along those lines. Uh, but then every year between Christmas and Easter, and I've done this since since I was a, just a young, just a wee a, lad, just just a green preacher, you know. Um, ever, ever since I, I started doing this, from Christmas to Easter, I'll preach a, a series on the life of Jesus, some aspect of the Gospels or whatever. Well, this year it was Mark, so I've been I've been at the church where I'm preaching now long enough that I've gone through all the Gospels once, and so Mark came up again. And so I just happened to notice as I was looking and making my plans that there were exactly 16 weeks between uh, the beginning of the year and Easter this year. Uh, and so there are six, you probably know this already, there are 16 chapters in uh, the Gospel of Mark. And so I thought, well, I'm going to handle a, ma- a, a chapter a week. Mm-hmm. Now, I often will do this, but what I tend to do is I tend to do one story out of the Gospels or one section, what I'm doing is I'm actually preaching through the entire chapter during this, and I've never done that before. And I'm actually having a lot of fun. That's a lot. In so many chapters, there's a lot to cover. Some of those chapters are long. And and so here's the interesting thing about this that sometimes doesn't happen in sermons. And this is the reason I like to preach through the same book in a series, is is some of those connections that aren't in in a sermon series, you're not able to actually often touch on it, it's allowing me to show some of the, what, what I would call the narrative. And I, and I've talked before about narrative is one of the approaches that I take to the gospels and to, well, to any narrative book, I, I look at it. How is this person telling the story? And so some of those things are coming out and I found this interesting, these two chapters. And I, I actually, after I, I told you I was going to do chapter eight this week and chapter nine next week and kind of show you some of the connections between the two of them even. Um, I really got to thinking about, I really wish that we would have gone back and done maybe Mark six and seven as well, but who knows, maybe in the future, if you, if we stick around for another hundred episodes or whatever, maybe, (laughs) maybe we'll get to those, but yeah. But the narrative part of it is what I really wanted to focus on. We've talked about this when we've talked about the Gospel of John before, is, mm-hmm. is some of the things with narrative. Do you remember some of the things we, we've, we've discussed before in regard to that? Uh, with narrative? Yeah, when we talk about narrative, some of the things to look for. Um, I'm gonna, I could probably say some things that I think are right, but they're probably wrong, and <laughs> well, then you'll shame no, me. That's fine. Because we I haven't prepped that. this. Well, I, I've talked about markers. You know, the, the, oh, you yes. have these discourse markers before. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd come up with those, like the temporal... Like the, Time, time, yeah, yeah temporal yes. markers like, like in the Gospel of John, that's one of his favorite. And then this happened, and then this happened. Mark uses this word. We don't see it too much in chapter eight and nine, but he uses this word immediately is the way it's often translated, or at once is mm-hmm. is often the way it's translated in English. It's the Greek word euthus. That's one of his favorite ways. It's just kind of like, and then immediately, and, and so there's a lot of quick. 
um, you know, quickness in Mark's gospel. You're moving yeah, from one I, thing I, to I the other. I was reading a book recently that was talking about that. It was yeah. just like Mark is in this big hurry, it seems, to, to get <laughs> to the last week of Jesus' yeah. life. Like, not yeah. that that what's happening isn't important, but that it, there's this right. quick progression to the last week of Jesus' well, life. Well, you, you bring that up. A lot of people don't realize that, and I think I've mentioned this before, the gospels, the majority of what they write about is one week in the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's only, you know, so, so I'll give you an example. So this week I'm preaching, uh, on, on Mark chapter 10 and then Mark chapter 11 is the, um, um, triumphal entry. So I'm skipping over chapter 11 and I'm going to do that on Palm Sunday, right? So Palm mm-hmm. Sunday is when we traditionally think about Jesus entry into Jerusalem, but Mark's already, having Jesus go into Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11, he's still got five chapters left, right? So right. so all the gospel writers spend a lot of time on this one week in, in the life of Jesus. It's not spread out over his whole ministry, but the majority of what they're talking about is this. Mark, traditionally, we have, you know, this doesn't really matter whether, whether you think this is true for what we're talking about today or not, but Traditionally, Mark's based on the preaching of Peter. And so, you know, Peter's the one kind of recollecting the story. And and if you think about a sermon on the life of Jesus, it's going to focus on um, his on, on the, the death, burial, and resurrection. It's going to be an important part of this. But anyway, I thought we would t- take some of the narrative parts of this. The other thing I don't think we've talked about as much, I mentioned this a little bit when we talked about um, oh, a long time ago, when we talked about the Gospel of John and um, some characters there, and the way that John uses characters, uh, and that's another aspect of narrative is is the role that these characters play. And when you see them kind of coming up again and again, they have a, a, a certain role. And we're used to this in movies or whatever. Uh, you know, I've often said we read we we watch movies the way that the ancients would have listened to these texts, right? The right. We, yeah, we yeah. pay attention. So, uh, if you're a Star Wars fan. You hear this repeated theme uh, from uh, the composer of Vader's theme. Anytime he's going to, you know, this dun, 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 dun. And, and so here comes Darth Vader on the scene. You know, you, you have these different recurring motifs that you'll see. And it's the same in, in the Gospels. You'll see these different characters kind of playing a role. And some of the ones we're going to see here are interesting. There's the crowd. And in the Gospel of Mark, at least to this point, the crowd has been pretty much on Jesus' side. Uh, he's got a lot of people who who follow who are following him, who are listening to his teachings, and who are responding to his miracles in, in with faith. Uh, so we have that that character. We have, and, and it's it's funny because I say character, but you know the the crowd kind of serves if you're looking at the narrative and as one person almost. It's the same with the Pharisees, uh, and the Pharisees are kind of the chief critics of Jesus. They're the ones who are constantly mm-hmm. criticizing. They're always bringing up conflict. Um, you know, they're, the, he, he's he's at odds with them. His teaching sometimes focuses upon them, and so you've got the Pharisees kind of playing this role. And we see him in chapter seven. We're going to see him again in chapter eight, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then you have the disciples. And the disciples have a really interesting role in the Gospel of Mark, I think, particularly in this part of it. And it's not exactly what you think it is, I would say. Um, and I'll, I'll mention one other group before we come, come back to the disciples. You have kind of these outsiders. Uh, so you have, uh, for example, we're going to see in chapter 7, Jesus goes up into Tyre, and there he meets a woman. We call her the Syrophoenician woman. She's she's a Gentile, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so he has an encounter with her. We see Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the area we call the Decapolis or Decapolis. Uh, and there, for example, he runs into this 
person we call legion uh who, who's who's full of demons right has as yeah. a legion of demons so so there are these outsiders but then they have the disciples and the interesting thing that Mark kind of shows in his gospel and the way that he tells us is the the disciples kind of have the role of not quite getting it. <laughs> and I think we'll see this in Mark 8. You know, they, they want to follow Jesus and they have this really strong desire to follow him. And there are good things that they do and they seem, mm-hmm. seem to get certain parts of it. But then they kind of continually play this role where Jesus is like, you still just don't understand, do you? When, right. when he's trying to really reveal who he is. And I'll go ahead and tell you, this is the interesting thing in narrative. I think I think that we're supposed to follow them. I think we're supposed to, uh, how do I say this? You know, when you're reading a book, a lot of times you'll identify with a particular character. Mm-hmm. I think the disciples are the one we're, we're supposed to identify with. Okay. And so what it's, what it's kind of teaching us is, okay, yeah, this is what it means to follow Jesus, but there's more to understand as well. There's a deeper understanding of what it means to be a follower of him also. And that's what we're kind of being taken to. Do you see this as like a parallel? And I know we talked about this with the Gospel of John. Like yes. the, the Jews are those, and not it's not necessarily that they're it's, Jewish, but those the Jewish the, leaders, mm-hmm. the Jewish leaders yeah. who are opposed. Yeah, you know, the Judaizers. So, now, <laughs> so maybe about John. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on this, but I'll just say this quickly. I've been pretty convinced by uh, um, a doctoral dissertation and an article that was written by this guy that suggests, so the eudioi is what you're saying. It's the, it's the Greek word that we translate as Jews, but it seems to be the Jewish leaders. And the reason mm-hmm. is in John, the Jews are ordering the, the priest to go out and to check, you know, so, so they have this role uh, mm-hmm. that they're kind of playing. Uh, and there are other terms that are, that are used frequently in the synoptics for Jewish leaders that we don't have in the gospel of John. So I think that's what that means. And, you know, that's neither here nor there, but uh, the interesting thing is this dissertation showed that as you go through the gospel of John, the last part of the gospel of John, the world becomes the enemy. Mm. Uh, so the Jews kind of go off the scene after chapter 11 or so. And then instead you have this word cosmos. And so Jesus is saying things like, uh, you know, I, the cosmos did not understand me and the world, the world hated me and the world is going to hate you. Right. And so it, it kind of takes this role. It's an interesting, interesting. We'll talk about that another day, maybe, but, okay. but yeah, but it's a similar, a similar like, idea. Was, a, was that a similar idea? Now I think, I think I thought where you're going is in the gospel of John, there's this, there's disciple I call the beloved disciple, right. Or the mm-hmm. ideal disciple. And I think he's the one we're supposed to identify there. Uh, and he's basically saying, here's what it means to truly follow Jesus. Um, so, so yeah, I think the disciples have a similar role, but really I think Mark is trying to teach us that there might be more for us to understand or more for us to learn. Well, anyway, let's, let's dig in and see yeah. what we can, what kind that of a mess good. we can I'm make I'm excited this. for this. <laughs> dig into well, it. Narrative, I tell you, narrative, technically we call it narrative criticism, although some people don't necessarily like that term, but, but, you know, studying this with a narrative perspective, I think has really opened up the gospels for me and shown me some things. And here's what I'm hoping. There's at least a couple of really weird things that happen in the gospels, right? right? You might say more than a few. And and I think that narrative sometimes can give us insight into why the authors chose to tell the story in the way that they did. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're getting at with narrative is I believe Mark and, and again probably following the Peter uh, the, the preaching of Peter for all we know, but Mark is telling his story in a very particular way. And so he's not he's not just randomly choosing these stories. You know, he's not like your great uncle 
uh, Roger who, you know, hit his head on the pavement too many times and you, you realize he's just kind of randomly telling you these stories, right? You know who I'm talking about, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, when he tells you these stories about his youth, you, you begin to realize, oh, you just got your head hit a few too many times. Yeah, and so things are never quite chips early on. <laughs> things are not quite clear. And, and so Mark, sometimes we treat him that way. The gospel writers, we sometimes treat him this way. Oh, they just randomly, it's like they, they took a bunch of stories about Jesus and shook him up in a hat and pulled him out one at a time. But I don't think that's what's going on. I they're, think that they're telling the story in a particular way in, with particular emphasis on particular spec, uh, to, to get across a particular point. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think that there's a couple things in chapter eight that will point that out. And that's all I'm going to try to do. So look at chapter eight and verse one. Okay. And I want you to notice the very first words here is it's a temporal marker, but it's an interesting one because it says during those days and so here's maybe what you would ask yourself well what days <laughs> what days are we those, talking about here? those days <laughs> those days right so it's during that period of time and and what i have to say here is we have to go back into chapter seven <coughs> excuse excuse me and figure out what those days are about and and chapter seven i think will actually help us a little bit we're not gonna look at all chapter seven but I think it'll help us see one of the things that Mark is doing here because he uses geography and whether you're on this side of the Sea of Galilee or on the other side of the Sea of Galilee makes a big difference about how people uh, receive Jesus. So uh, what what you have basically is there is a lot the Pharisees are, are contradicting Jesus. They're criticizing his disciples at the beginning of chapter seven for not washing their hands. And then in verse 24, this is of chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. So Tyre is way up north, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's in Syria. So it's up out. It's not in Galilee. It's not a Jewish area. It's a Gentile area. And there he has this interaction with this woman. And, and essentially, you know, you, you might remember that whole episode, but basically he says, you know, you shouldn't give the children's bread to dogs. And and, um, oh, you know, yes. she says, well, even the even the, the little dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. And, and so, you know, because of her faith, then Jesus heals her daughter. And, and so what we have going on there, I think, is that here's this Syrophoenician woman that's having stronger faith than even chapter six. You might remember the people in Jesus home region did not have many healings or miracles among them because they would not believe in him. Mm -hmm. Right. And he, he gives this statement, even a prophet is without honor in his home, hometown, home area, however you read that. And so here we have this woman who's who's playing that kind of role, character, right? A, mm -hmm. a Gentile woman. So then and look at verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the. Decapolis. And again, a careful reader of Mark is going to think, oh, I remember what happened to Decapolis. That's when he went over and he, he cast out the, the, you know, legion, the, the, mm -hmm. the, and, and so, the and, and you might remember there at the end, you remember what happens at the end of that story? I think it's interesting is the, the man wants to go ahead. What? No, you go ahead. I'm oh, that, to, yeah, I know what you're going to say. They, they were amazed by him, but then they're going, leave here, please. <laughs> we, right. We can't handle this. And uh, so the man wants to go with him. A legion, or you know, the man who formerly known as Legion, legion right? He, he just has a symbol now, but um, <laughs> sorry, he uh, um, he wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, "No, you stay here and and tell 
your people hear about what I have done, right? Mm-hmm. So the news about Jesus seems to have spread throughout the Decapolis, right? And probably at least partly because of this man and the other witnesses to what he had done. So here's what it says. Jesus left the city of Tyre, went through Sidon down the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to come and place his hand on him. So, so Jesus performs this miracle in the Decapolis, okay? And then the transition is in chapter eight and verse one during those days. Okay, so we're you know the idea is Jesus is over in the in the gen, in the Gentile area on the other side of the you know where those people live right the, where the foreigners live over there mm-hmm. the Gentiles on the other side of the Sea of Galilee is what's going on and again this is a geographic marker so it's interesting for for Mark he's showing that. Jesus, in some ways, has more people. People respond to Jesus in a more positive way outside of Galilee than they do inside. Hmm. Okay, yeah. So, so listen to what happens then. Chapter eight, verse one. During those days, another large crowd gathered. So, so we're talking about Gentiles here. We're talking about the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has already done something very similar in Galilee, and, and so he's going to perform another miracle. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him, okay, and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? (laughs) Okay. Now, if you've read Mark just a couple of chapters ago, there's a bigger crowd. (laughs) Right. And Jesus is able to feed them and, and they pick up 12 basketfuls of food afterwards. Okay. So he, he, I think again, he asked this question to his disciples looking for them to make a response of faith. Well, Jesus, we've seen you done this, do this before, and even a greater miracle, certainly you can do this again. That's not what they say. Well, where are we going to get food for everybody? Back then, by the way, in the feeding of the 5,000, according to Mark, they said it would take a half a year's wages to feed all these people, even to give them one bite, right? So his disciples answered, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and gave thanks, he broke it and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went into the region of Dalamantha. And I should have stopped there because really there's another. So this here's another transition in Mark. It's a geographical transition, though. You see this? Yep. So so he feeds these 4,000 people with seven loaves and with just a few fish, uh, and they pick up seven baskets full. So... Excuse me. Previously, a couple of loaves and some small fish feeds 5,000. They pick up 12 baskets full. Here's this, another miracle of Jesus. And and so the question is, how are we going to respond? Now we've seen Jesus do this twice, right? Right. Right. Okay. Uh, Any other comments on that or anything you noticed that you wanted to bring up? Uh, No. I mean... Just the seven, you know, is that like a completion sure. thing? You know, we've talked yeah, about seven could being be. a, a number it of could completion. Be. And, or... and, and, and let me, I, I could tell you a couple things people think. Well, I, let's wait. Hold on, because we're going to mention this again. Hold on okay. just a minute. Okay. Yeah, but other than uh, that, I think. Don't, uh, don't forget that question, though. We'll, we'll come back. If I forget, remind me of it. Okay. So 
go back to verse 10 then. This I think this is the transition for the next one. My my version has this in the same paragraph as what goes before. But so Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dal Dal Dalmanutha. We don't know exactly where this region is, but mm. it's clear they're on it's those days, they're on the other side, right? They're the wrong they side of the Right. And and they come across. And who do they immediately meet? Is the Pharisees? Mm -hmm. So we've we've probably been across the Sea of Galilee, and even though we don't know where this region is, in some ways it doesn't matter because they've come back into Pharisee region here, right? They've left. Right. I mean, seriously, they. Right. So here's the characterization: they've left Gentile region now, and they've come into they've come into Pharisee region, and so it says the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He probably says something like, well, you should have been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You would have been just impressed. Did this, right? just, come on. <laughs> you know, give us bread from heaven. You know, He sighed deeply and says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. Now, that's interesting because just we just did. had this miracle on the other side, right? But I think this is going back to what we saw earlier. I mentioned earlier about the in his home region because of their lack of faith in him. So the Pharisees are not having this role of believing in him. They're having this role of trying to basically disprove him or, or, mm-hmm. or, or they're, they're the conflict to him. So here's what I really want you to notice. I though. want to know, did he roll his eyes at the same time when he, he says sighed he sighed deep. deeply? It, it, <sighs> actually, believe it or not, there's a lot of commentary on, on that word sign. No believe way. It or not. Yeah, no, but, and, and I mean, I'm, I'll be honest. I've got to purpose? see the eye roll there at the same time. Like, are you guys, come on. Well, it, it, you know, it's kind of that. I think there's, there's a certain dis- distress of spirit is, is what some people will say say, you know, this, this idea. And remember, even the, even the, again, to talk about this in narrative, you know, we're trying to hold all these kind of the way he's telling the story together, the Syrophoenician woman and her answer and, you know, her answer is better than, than the, all of Israel's answer. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we see this. So, so here's the unexpected, here's the overturning that Mark is doing here is the people that would be most expected to respond well to Jesus and the ones to whom Jesus said he came. That's what he's getting at when he says, you don't take the children's bread and give it to dogs. He's really saying, I, I, my, my mission and my responsibility is to come to the Jews, that to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's the kind of repeated gospel kind of, um, kind of thing. And so, so when she responds to him, you know, with saying, well, even the dog gets the, the scraps, right? That the children mm-hmm. leave over. He's kind of, you know, Jesus is kind of like, well, you, you know, you're right. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the things that the children, those to whom he came do not want. The here's, this, yeah. here's the Syrophoenician woman going, I, I want what you. I want the scraps, even if it's a scrap. Exactly, and and so you get what I'm saying is there's this there's this really strong contrast. So here's what I want you to notice then, and this is this is where narrative really uh, comes together. Look at verse 13. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Mm -hmm. You're you're getting like there's something specific being told here because it's like. (laughs) He just went to the other side. That's what happened. And now he's going, heading back exactly. to where he was. Now, that's what I want you to notice. Now, you, you, come on. I mean, he, he came across the boat, landed. The Pharisees test him, and he gets in a boat and goes back, right? <laughs> size, size deeply. <laughs> right. Gets back in the boat. Take you're me getting, back to the you're other getting side. it. You're getting it. So, so. You know, is that was there more things that happened on this side of the Sea of Galilee? Probably. Sure. Yeah. But what what's Mark's point here? 
right? Mark is saying that here he fed 4,000 people over here, and then he comes across, and the Pharisees are like, give us a sign, right? Show us show us something, right? And they're, mm-hmm. they're doing it in order to test him. They weren't looking uh, for something to place their faith into. No, it was no. a test, like it, a test it, as it, for him to fail, a test it, for failure. It had an illegitimate yeah, source. It, yeah, it wasn't like, you know, we trust you, you know, feed us. It wasn't anything like that. It was, it was very much, yeah, it was, it was illegitimate in its origin, I would say, or its source. Mm. So, so that's, that's an example though, where narrative kind of gives us a little bit of an insight here because, you know, it, again, most people don't even notice this. We're reading through it. We may read only a section and we don't really think about this fact that he just came across in a boat and has one conversation with the Pharisees and then goes back across. Right. But Mark, I think, is saying something about, you know, the people over there are are responding to Jesus in a way that that his own people are not. And that's one of the themes that we see in, in the Gospels. Uh, John says it this way. I mean, just, just to quote John, he came to those who were his own and his own rejected him. Right. Mm-hmm. If Peter's preaching in Rome, then then you can understand, you know, if this is the background for this, if Mark, ha- if the gospel Mark has any origin connection to Rome, which is other reasons I think maybe it does, then then you can see how this message would be um, appropriate. Right? It, it, right. It's to say even during his own ministry, um, you know, th- there were those who were not um, born Jewish that responded to him in in this way hmm well, that's that's really interesting you know and, no it's <clears throat> that's right uh, again again how many times you read that and you don't <clears throat> see that it, I'm, I'm just trying to think through here again i know mm-hmm. i've said this so many times like how do we see that stuff like when we yeah. read mark look for that geography look for this stuff you know and it's like how how easy it is for us to read that yeah. and move on again i i Here's my problem, and this is a personal problem for me. Sure. It's just like you, st- we, we get in these gospel narratives, and here's just here's a place, right. like, and I just like, oh yeah, I've said the name of the place, but I don't have right. and clear in my mind where this sits on a map, and maybe and what the importance is and the right. significance, mm-hmm. not just yeah. where it is on the map, but the significance of that place. Right. Um, but to see this, you know, again, this bouncing back and forth, you start to see this, uh, well, so- what this could mean. Let me give you a couple of things here. I, I think I'm getting, you know, you're saying, how can I see this stuff? And so let, let me give you a couple of things that I've said to my students in the past is, is slow down and take a look at those kind of things. <laughs> the, the narrative is really the, the very things that we often pass over quickly. People's names, groups' names. I've said before, and we're gonna, this is going to become more significant next week even, but we, you know, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, chief priests, we lump them all together. Yeah, quote unquote enemies of Jesus, right? <laughs> the quote unquote the bad guys, mm-hmm. and, and there are times where they have that. But then to to think about to slow down and think about okay, what were the particular beliefs of the Pharisees? Next week, just just to prepare you for this, we're going to have you know Pharisees, Sadducees. We're gonna we're gonna have Herodians. We're gonna have all kinds of people running around. And slowing down a little bit and thinking about their beliefs and why Jesus responds to them, why they ask the questions that they do. Or, or why they do the things that they do and how, why Jesus responds to them in the way that he does. Um, you know, for the Pharisees, they were very concerned. You know, the good thing about the Pharisees, they were very concerned with the letter of the law because they saw what happened in Israel's history when Israel became far away from God. Mm-hmm. But Jesus' primary criticism of them 
is you've you've drawn close with your actions and and he he uses the term lips you know you mm-hmm. you, you speak you speak a good game but your hearts are far from me they they have you you've not changed your your internal life in order to draw near to god it's only the outward actions mm-hmm. and so the big woes of the pharisees if you think about matthew where you have these woes of the pharisees you know, it's all focused on you're giving these good outward impressions, but inside you're filled with corruption. You know, you're like whitewashed tombs is one right. of the terms you use. You're like somebody who washes the outside of the cup and leaves the inside dirty. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, if if I'm coming to your house and you can only choose whether to wash the inside or the outside, please wash the inside. But I don't know if there's yeah. lipstick on the outside of it. You ever <laughs> well, see that in an old okay. I'd rather, I'd rather have you do a thorough job if you're going to invite both. me over clean to, both. to anyway, clean yes. both. Yes. But I'm saying if you had to choose one, right? <laughs> anyway, but... But yeah, so 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 that's I get your point. I just it, wanted to make reference to So the other thing is I'll say is you know, slow down and look at those kind of things. And the other thing I think that kind of keeps us from this, and this is why I've been having getting such a kick out of preaching the series the way that I am, is even I will often, you know, just do a part of the chapter, right? Or look at one big section. And and I'll, I will tell you, it's taken a lot because I, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to preach an hour long sermon or anything like that. I would have a mutiny on my hands, but <laughs> it's been a challenge for me to try to get these things across and, and to show, you know, the whole chapter for what it is. But you, you do get a different sense when you read these large sections altogether rather than, you know, a pericope at a time. Um, mm-hmm. So, so those are just two things. Let's I'll say, say that again. Pericope at a time. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, um, pericope is just you know, like when we have those separate narratives or separate stories yeah. about Jesus. Okay. Just so you know, we're. Uh, I'm a layman. I'm a, lay, I'm a, I'm a layman here. I'm we're not. A, we're not. Uh, we're not done yet. So look. Look at verse 14. Then. All right. And this. This. You're going to get. A, you're going to like this. This. This has got Ryan written all over it. The disciples. Okay. Now here again. So we slow down, and and just what I've said already about characterization in the Gospel of Mark. Okay, so we just left the Pharisees, and now we're having a disciples moment, right? Mm-hmm. Back so the, on, the, on the other side of the track. Have you ever? And I know I use this language a lot, you know, off stage or you know they they exit stage right or whatever. Um, if you think of it like a play, like like how would you? how would you have these characters come on and off and that kind of thing? I think it gives you a sense of what's what, of how Mark is doing this. You know, if Mark, he doesn't necessarily give us the stage direction, but here the stage direction is, and they cross to the other side, mm-hmm. right? That's him going, okay, it's, it's no longer wherever Dalamunta is. It's, it's the other side now. Mm-hmm. And so it says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Okay. And we've been talking about bread, right? Yeah. Bread. Except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, you've just left the Pharisees, right? And, and, and we've seen what they did. Last chapter, they were criticizing the disciples because they didn't wash their hands. And Jesus says, you come close to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Herod uh, plays in the chapter before, and this is where I really wish we kind of had gone through that. In the chapter before, and here's another narrative thing, and I'm, I'm just going to mention this to you. Okay. Uh, Mark uses sandwich stories where he starts one story like a like the top bread of a sandwich, mm-hmm. and then he gives us another story as the meat, and then he finishes the first story as the bottom 
bread. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he does that back in chapter six, where he tells the story about sending out the disciples and they go out and they have the successful ministry right in the middle of it. They tell the story of beheading John, the beheading of John the Baptist hmm. and, and Herod then responds basically when they're telling about all these miracles to say, John the Baptist has come back to life. Okay. That, and that becomes a little bit significant later on too. So how does Herod respond to Jesus? You know, how he's an enemy to the gospel. And, and I'll go ahead and tell you the point. And, well, no, I'm not going to tell you the point in chapter six. Maybe we'll do that another day. But, <laughs> but he says, beware. The, cause, so it, my point is in the story, we've heard about Pharisees and we've heard about Herod and the way that he has responded to Jesus and to John the Baptist and these other people, right? And, and so he's saying, beware this yeast. Yeast is used in rabbinic literature sometimes to talk about corruption or to talk about, you know, something you be careful of it because it's something that can uh, very easily take over one's life. The same way that yeast, a little bit of yeast, as Jesus says, hidden in, in flour grows and yeah, it becomes, it becomes helps. a part of the whole thing. Right. And, and so goes throughout the whole loaf is what Jesus says. So he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. In other words, don't, don't be like them. That That's not, that that's, that's all he's saying. really. Mm-hmm. Right. But what do the disciples do? They discuss this with one another and says, it's because we have no bread. <laughs> Now, reading this in, in the narrative, okay, what is, <laughs> when the disciples come to the conclusion, what Jesus is criticizing is that we have no bread, what are you going to think about? I'm going to think about the, the feeding the 4,000 that just happened. And the feeding of the 5,000 happened yeah, a couple when chapters you were on ago. The, when you were on this side of the, the tracks the last time. So the disciples still don't understand. So l- listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, "What are you talking? Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand?" Okay, this is this is their role. Okay, do you not get it? Is the idea your job is L- to get it? <laughs> Listen to what he says. Are your hearts hardened? This is something he's going to come back to. Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? Isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? Do you have eyes, but you can't see? Or ears, and you can't hear? Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you not listening to the things that I'm saying to you? One of the main things that Jesus is teaching to this point, um, and it just started a couple of chapters ago, is he begins to tell them, I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to be killed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they don't, they're like, What's he mean? What could this possibly mean? We'll we'll see this a, a little bit next week too. Um, and then he goes on and says, "Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. In other words, more than um, you know ha- had been in the beginning. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Now, <clears throat> let's talk about these numbers here in just a minute. But first, let me just say the, the basic meaning here is they're going, oh, he's mad at us because we forgot to bring enough right. bread for everybody. <laughs> right? Yeah. And Jesus is going, guys, if I could feed 5,000 and 4,000, don't you think I can handle the 12 of us or the 13 of us? Don't, don't you think... I can provide enough mm-hmm. for you, uh, and yet again, you know, here's a, here's a little um, 
so what right in the middle of this since, since I know you'll ask me at the end one of the so what's right here in the middle of this is that we often so so I said the disciples are really teaching us right we're we're kind of mm-hmm. taking their role and the point is even sometimes when we can see the way that Jesus provides in incredible ways we still become very concerned that we're not bringing enough, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that we don't have what's necessary in order to accomplish what he's asked us to do. And, and Jesus, I think, is saying to his disciples, it's ridiculous. You know, if I can feed 5,000 or 4,000, I can feed us as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, I need a little water instead of coffee, I think. But <coughs> too late for that. Yep. Okay. So. Let's talk about these numbers then. You ask about the seven, and there's a couple of different ways to understand this. So the numbers 12 and seven have usually numeral, well, they have they have symbolic significance, I'll say, often in the Bible. Uh, we've said before, 12 uh, usually stands for what? Uh, like the 12 tribes of Israel. So God's people is the way we often yeah. think of it. 12 apostles, 12 tribes. Um, so it's, it's God's people. <clears throat> The seven often, you mentioned completion before, the idea of seven days of creation, uh, seven often will speak about fullness. <clears throat> now, there are some, because again, we mentioned the 5,000, feeding the 5,000 took place in Galilee, where, where the Jewish people, one of the, one of the regions mm-hmm. the Jewish people find themselves. And so the 12 there, some people see the significance being a reference to, to the Jewish people particularly. And if you read back through Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges, when the people enter into Canaan, uh, there's this repeated phrase that's used throughout those three books, at least, um, at least through Judges. It may be in First Samuel. I remember at least through Judges, where he'll talk about the seven nations of the Canaanites, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I drove out from you seven nations more powerful than you, right? And so there are some people who see this being on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Transjordan, right? Right. Um, being a reference to the to the Gentiles. In other words, um, Jesus brings um, what's necessary for for both, both and, and sides. appointing them toward the Gentile mission. Now it's possible. <clears throat> I, I don't. I think he's doing that. I think I've already shown in the narrative. I think he's doing that. I don't know that the numbers are are significant are significant for that reason mm-hmm. i think it may just be a matter of you know the seven there's there's plenty there was plenty left over right right there but, wasn't we, we shouldn't put emphasis on something that the maybe, gospel writer you know maybe i don't know i mean it's 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 interesting it's compelling our argument but i don't know that they i don't know that someone reading this or hearing Peter preach in Rome would have immediately gone, oh, he's talking about the seven nations of the Canaanites. I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not prepared to say that at this point. <laughs> so I'm persuadable if somebody wants to give me a good case for it. But All right. So 12 <clears throat> and right. 7. Uh, and Do you so still not understand? Right. They still don't understand yet that, that God's providing everything, or Jesus is providing everything they need. Exactly. So go ahead and read this next healing uh, account for me, if you would. Uh, 22 down through 26, yeah. and, um, and and then we'll talk about it. Yep. They came to Bethsaida, uh, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eye, eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. 
Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Okay. So this is a weird miracle. <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> Would you agree? There's a few is of these. Jesus depleted at this point. <laughs> ah, the, see, you're asking exactly the question we have to ask. Why? Why did Jesus? Why do we have this? Can you think of another example of an incomplete healing? Why does Jesus incompletely heal him? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a very it's a weird story, right? And so you're like, oh, Jesus is just out of power, right? He just did the four. I think recharge the batteries. I think the problem with that is that's the same misunderstanding that the disciples have, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't have enough bread, you know. And Jesus mm-hmm. is like, guys, do you, do you not know who I? I think your Christ, Christology may be a bit small mm-hmm. if you think that Jesus is just. I wonder running. if Jesus sighed deeply. <laughs> if you think that Jesus just ran out of juice here, I think I think you're misunderstanding. Some people have pointed to when they tra- when they interpret this passage, they'll point to say, "Well, there's something about the man's faith. His faith was not strong enough to receive the healing completely." I, I don't know that that's it either. Given what we're thinking about, not thinking of this separated from what just came before, what connection can you see between the account that that we just had of Jesus and his disciples in the boat, and and you know their lack of bread? And this this account of the man who's who's healed. What what do you notice? What are some common? Well, I think that do you have eyes but fail to see? Exactly. Okay. So he's just criticized them as you you guys don't quite quite get it, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen this stuff, but you're not yet coming to a full understanding. So. And there are other ways to understand this. In my opinion, the reason we have this, and think about it. Here's here's what we're talking about in narrative. <laughs> Mark throws this weird healing right in the middle. And so I think you're asking the right kind of questions. It's the same as what calls our attention when Jesus and his disciples get in the boat and they take a ride across the Galilee, have one conversation with the Pharisees and head back. You begin to ask yourself, that's... There's something going on. There, right. right? There's There's a, this is strange. a weird narrative structure. So I think you look side by side of this criticism of the disciples because you're with me and you see the things I'm doing, but you don't quite get it yet. You don't fully understand who I am. And then you have this man who's healed, who's able to see, but it's vague, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people kind of look like trees walking around. Mm-hmm. And so, so then Jesus takes them to it. To, to a complete healing. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's parallel with this idea of the disciples needing to have their eyes further opened. That they've like, been opened a little bit. It's and, like they, and they can see vaguely, they kind of have vague yeah. outlines of what's happening with Jesus, but they still haven't really got it yet. You're seeing, but you don't quite get it. That's that's exactly what I what I think. You're, you, you have eyes to see, but you're not seeing. Hmm. That's interesting. So here's another so what for you. I'm I'm just full of so what. So <laughs> yep. So if the disciples are who we're supposed to identify in this gospel, what what is that saying to us then? First, that there are times when we just see vaguely, and we yeah. you know we need to look deeper. 
I think so. I think that, that, that there's another level of faith for us to go to. There's another level of understanding for us to go to. Sometimes, you know, again, and, and it may be the same kind of thing with bread. I don't have enough bread and I don't mean wonder, right? Um, you know, that, that, that is God able to provide? Do I believe that he's able to provide the things that I need? Um, do I believe that he is able to equip me to finish the, the work that he has for me to do, right? Do I believe that he's able to overcome even difficulties that's, that stand in, our, stand in the way of the gospel? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and by the way, that's really the sandwich story back in, in uh, the chapter six is despite, <laughs> you know, things like beheading the, the, the one who came before, the, the message of the gospel is going to go on. The message of the kingdom is going to continue, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's, that's kind of what it's encouraging us to think about. So here's where we get into the, really the high point. Mark eight is kind of the center of the whole gospel. And this is the reason is, is this is really what we're getting at is Jesus and his disciples. Then it says, verse 27 went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. A lot of people make a big deal about this. This is way up north again, by the way, up further north than Galilee. Caesarea Philippi specifically was known as a place where there was worship of of false gods. Uh, And so some people make a big deal about that. Um, On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Okay. Mm -hmm. So we've had these different examples of different groups who have responded to Jesus differently. And so he says, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Uh, Even Herod says that Jesus is John the Baptist come back to life. That was in chapter six. Some say Elijah. Um, We're going to have more Elijah later on in, in the gospel of Mark. And still others, one of the prophets. In other words, the things that you're doing, like, like Elijah was known for his actions. He, he mm-hmm. could stop up rain. He could feed people miraculously. He could heal. He could raise the dead. The kind of things that Jesus did, we see Elijah doing. The prophets, the way that the prophets spoke is the way we see Jesus speaking, right? He, he's speaking calling with his Calling them perf- out. The calling time. them out. He's speaking with authority. Not, yeah, not, with authority, not something that... that um, you know, has been handed down to him from from the fathers, right? But mm-hmm. but something that is from God Himself. I'm giving you this message from God, right? Mm-hmm. So he speaks with this prophetic voice, and so then Jesus says to the disciples, and again, I think he says this to the reader. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the inconceivable series, the Christ. Mm-hmm. Peter says, I believe that you are the Christ, the, the anointed one, uh, that promised one who's going to come into the world and who's going to rule over an eternal kingdom. Uh, I believe that. And so the, the other word is, is Mashiach. So Christos in Greek, Mashiach in Hebrew, Christ and Messiah, you are the Christ. We, we call this Peter's good confession because it's the same confession that we often will make when we enter the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. When you, when you come to Christ, at some point or another, probably you were asked to say, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, mm-hmm, right? right, son of the living God? And, and so this is what Peter says. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. <clears throat> this is what we call the messianic secret in Mark. It, it's, it, it's already happened. This isn't something, if you're reading Mark, you've already heard this several times. 
and really it comes to the, the people that are not supposed to hear about this are the ones who are going to cause Jesus problem when it comes to, to his death. Right. It's um, not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not that it's, it's a secret, but it is that, uh, the, if that conf, there, there are things that Jesus needs to do before that conflict comes to its complete, um, completion. F- yeah. Fruition. However you want to think about that. Okay. So this is pretty good. This is the high point. You know, here's, here's Peter, understanding that Jesus is none other than this promised Messiah. That's what I believe about you. So, so again, if you're thinking about this, somebody reading this, who's an unbeliever, let's imagine reading the gospel of Mark, they get to this point and it's like, Oh, this is, this is the deciding point, right? This is the, this is the the big thing. But here's what I'm going to tell you is the disciples are still the disciples. (laughs) Right. because go ahead and read verses um, verses uh, thirty one through thirty two. Well, actually, go ahead and read. Go ahead and read through thirty three. Okay. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Or the concerns of man is the way that might be translated in your in your version. So so <laughs> Peter immediately makes this profound statement. Mark doesn't tell us this, but both Luke and, and, and Matthew say that this was not revealed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, uh, because this was not revealed to you by man, but by God. In other words, God is the one who's, who's helped you know this. And then immediately he begins to talk about his death again, because that's the main thing he needs to get across to them is that he's going to Jerusalem, not to set up an, a, a kingdom militarily or with power, but he's going uh, to set up a cruciform kingdom. Go back and, and listen to the episode where we talked uh, about the Olivet Discourse with uh, John Weatherly. He, he's going to set up a different kind of kingdom than they're they're anticipating. So Peter's excited because he's the king, right? He's the he's the Messiah who's who's been promised. And so when Jesus says, "I'm going to go and die," Peter's like, "Wait a minute, that doesn't fit in with my worldview." Mm-hmm. And, and and here's the other part of this is our expectations sometimes of what Jesus is saying or what Christianity is about is sometimes messed up. I'm thinking about a friend of mine, for example, who who has rejected uh, his faith. And when we've had conversations in the past, I've said to him, you're not rejecting Christianity. You're rejecting your parents' view of Christianity, right? right. Yeah. which is frankly a little skewed. And so sometimes our expectations of, of what we think Jesus is saying or Jesus is teaching is is different because of our worldview. Uh, worldviews are powerful things where where they uh, or or how would uh, Charles Taylor put this? You know, th- this is this is the uh, the water we swim in, right? This is this is the atmosphere in which we are. These are givens of our of our society, mm-hmm. uh, and so you don't even necessarily question them. You don't even think to question them. Yeah. So we're, we're, uh, are we getting the view, the view here that Peter, while he's acknowledging that Jesus yes. is the anointed, the anointed one, he still sees an earthly kingdom as the as the main thing. I think I think a military earthly kingdom. Uh, I've mentioned before. We talked about the intertestamental period, and you know, 
his name was Simon, for goodness sakes, you know, Simon Maccabeus, you know, right. uh, 95% of the young Jewish boys in Galilee and in Judea during this period of time were named after one of the Maccabean kings. Who and took so, back the temple for God. Took back the temple. God, you know, they, they, they told the story that God empowered them, even though there was a superior force, the Syrians had, had occupied the land god enabled this small band of faithful jewish people to throw off the the the, the military ruler and in fact the pharisees we've just talked about are descendants of, of of those who were saying we're going to be true to the law it doesn't matter we're not going to compromise with with the um uh, the greeks or the syrians you know and so uh so it's the same with the romans now oppressing them uh and their belief is Jesus is going to be the one. And, and I mean, holy cow, look at the things that he's doing. He's raising the dead. Uh, you know, that's pretty good in a, in a battle. Uh, he's, he's, he's feeding yeah. armies full of people. Uh, and, and that's one of the main things you have to think about when you're when you're mounting a campaign, right? Is how do you how do you feed Logistics. the army? Yeah. Uh, an army marches on its stomach, is what uh, what the, the the famous line is. And, and so, yeah. So then Jesus says, "No, I'm going to go die." <laughs> and, and so. And, and, and it take it takes my breath away almost every time I read this. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I'll, I'll say that alone shows that he he he's still seeing men walking around like trees, right? His eyes are not fully opened. Mm. He's rebuking Jesus as though Jesus has got it wrong. He he doesn't get his his Christology is not high enough, right? His view mm. of who Jesus is is not high enough. Uh, he's not some earthly. He is the eternal king over an eternal kingdom. He is not some earthly ruler, right? Um, and so, so that's he, he's also the suffering, suffering servant of Isaiah's song. Is is, is really what it gets down to? Wow. Other com- yeah, oh, what you just said about the 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 blind man and seeing like uh, they look like trees yeah. and so forth, and they're just thinking about Peter here yeah. saying like, "Oh, you, you're the Messiah. I see this. Yes, you're the Messiah. That's who you are." And then the next frame yeah. is got it wrong again, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's it, it's this dim view. He acknowledges yes. something, but yes. still doesn't see the full thing. And wow, I just I, I never. I think I never put that together. I think that's what Mark's teaching us here. So all we're doing, you see what we're doing, instead of looking at these three as separate stories, we're following the narrative. And we're saying, why would Mark put this weird story here, (laughs) right, about this weird healing? That's all we're doing is we're asking that question. And I think what you're saying is we're just acknowledging, well, look what it's bracketed by. It's bracketed by these misunderstandings of the of the disciples. Mm-hmm. And so this becomes an illustration uh, that you need to become seeing. There's another blind man in chapter 10, just to just to get your get your um, appetite whetted there. So verse 34, it says, then he called the crowd. So I said the crowd is often the ones who, who respond to him positively. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Okay, so this has been disciple time, right? You are the Christ. And now he says, okay, everybody huddle. Come on, uh, everybody in. Yep. And, and here's what he says. And, and this is, this is talking about your so what's. This is the ultimate so what about what it means to be a Christian. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Okay. Now, that's become a very familiar, you know, we put that on bumper stickers, for goodness sakes. But the idea of denying ourselves 
and taking up our cross, right? That would have been scandalous in, in this day. Because to be, you know, uh, again, John Weatherly talks about this all the time, and I think does a good job of it. To be crucified on a cross is scandalous. And Jesus is saying, not only am I going to the cross, but if you want to follow me, you've got to go to the you cross go as well. Cross that, that's what's required of you. And, uh, you know, it, it's that idea that it's not about glory. It's, it's not about power in the, in the um, um, you know, political or the, the military sense. It, it's about denying yourself and laying down your life for others. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, there's good news we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, they will save it. What good is it for you, someone, to, to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. So, you know, if you're if you're going in the way of the Pharisees or in the way of Herod, beware the yeast of the of the Pharisees and Herod, right? Mm-hmm. If that's what you're you're going to, then I'm going to be ashamed of you in this generation. Uh, it's not. It's not. If you don't copy this and paste it on your Facebook wall, then then you're not. Wait, I don't think that's, what? I know. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, but he says he says basically you you need to acknowledge, um, you know, my way of seeing this, not not your own way of seeing this. Um, and he said to them, truly, I tell you, this is chapter nine, verse one. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Uh, and then we get into that, you know, that whole thing we talked about, uh, you know, the Olivet discourse as well. But, but that's, that's how I see this again. And, and it's just basically taking it to near in, in narrative form and looking at it together. Now, chapter nine, we're going to look at next week is going to continue this. And, and I think we'll see some really interesting connections here. Uh, we even see some interesting connections in chapter 10 with this whole thing. And again, it's Mark, you've got to take the story as a whole. Uh, you have to look at really what he's trying to get across. Um, now, <laughs> it, I would say study small parts intently, but read big sections all together. And that's where we begin to see some of these connections that we might otherwise miss. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think it's tying that together, I think, is always I, I had never that story about the, the, the blind man. I yeah. you know, I never thought it was Jesus needed to recharge, you know, like his <laughs> right. lithium's right. low. Right. Um, but just that like that connection then to, to later Peter. Yeah. Uh Peter's has some vision, but it, it's blurry, I think is is fantastic. And I think as as we always talk about, it's reading large sections. And yeah. I mean, this is kind of a larger section, but to, yep. to see those things and to look for those markers of location and yeah. geography and, oh, he's on this side and he's on that side, but who's he talking to? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a different way instead of us just reading it, but to kind of catch that deeper, that deeper level that, yeah. that, that we, to read this, that what Mark's trying to communicate with us. Well, you know, our hope is as people listen to this, they begin to notice those kind of things as well. It, not only here, but in other places, you know, I don't want to just be the one saying, Oh, here, this is what this means, but <clears throat> here are the tools that you can take and, and apply to other mm-hmm. points in the gospel or other narrative. And, and all it takes <clears throat> You know, there used to be, I kind of joked about, you know, they all threw these stories in a hat and picked them out, but there used to be kind of this, this idea, even among scholar, well, especially among scholars that would say they, they kind of just took these stories and randomly stuck them together. 
and people were really kind of trying to reconstruct an earlier you know model of where this stuff came from but i think it's clear that 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 all four gospel writers are choosing are are selecting and arranging i would say those are the two things so they don't always all, all tell us the same stories they all have unique material right that they bring right and, and so they <coughs> oh, excuse me there are other things they could choose choose to tell us and the other thing is the way they arrange them uh, tells us a lot about what what they're trying to get across. So, yeah, and I think that that I'd always seen. You know, you talked about the sandwich thing that there's these weird yeah. stories in there, and I, I've noticed one back in Mark four when it's like yep. the sower and the seeds, and then we have this quote from Jesus yep. is quoting Isaiah here in the middle, yeah, and kind of going, okay, well. I'd noticed that one before, but not to see some of those other structures as you yeah. read through Mark kind of going, okay, yeah, there's these, and that middle section helps you understand yeah. what Jesus is saying on both sides of it yeah. is, is really interesting. So this is fantastic. Good. Glad you enjoyed it. So, yeah. I mean, that's why I get such a kick out of narrative. That That's really, mm-hmm. that's really the main thing when you're looking at the gospels is spend time, you know, look at those, trying to figure out some of those places and, you know, get out. I mean, most of your Bibles have maps in the front. Get them out mm-hmm. and try to figure out where you're going and that kind of thing. There's some good books we could recommend, too. Actually, let me mention, too, I'm going to I'm gonna talk about this one. I should have brought this with me for show and tell. This is uh, Mark Strauss. Now, this is a this is a not a lightweight book. Okay. But this is a commentary that I'm really enjoying. This is the second time working through it uh, through my preaching. Mark Strauss is the author. It is a little bit more of a detailed commentary, and it is one that if you have a knowledge of Greek will help you significantly. But Strauss uh, studied Luke Acts actually just to connect this all at, at the University of Aberdeen, uh, just like uh, John Wesley did. And so he started in Luke Acts, but he he's a narrative person. He, he learned that like I did and like John did. And uh, so he does that with Mark and makes some excellent connections and has helped me see some things that I had never seen before. He, he, in the beginning of that commentary, every section has kind of like, where does this stand within the larger story? Mm. And and never let you kind of lose sight of what came before and what comes afterwards. Uh, you know, when we skip around as well, it kind of messes us up too, right? Because you read yeah. something from chapter four and then something from chapter 10 and and, and you know, kind of reading it straight through can really help uh, with those those kind of stories. Uh, you know, Mark, I've encouraged my people. You know, sixteen chapters, sixteen weeks until Easter. And I encourage them this year: just read a chapter a week with me, and we'll we'll get through it. Now, some of the people don't realize some of the gospel chapters are very long, and Luke Luke has even longer chapters. Luke has long chapters. We've been but, going through that uh, with our kids. Yeah, that's it's long yeah, chapters. Yeah, the longest chapter in the New Testament is Luke chapter one. But uh, you know, it's it's just there's they're super long and uh, but anyway it helps kind of hold that story together i think uh, as you move through it so that's one book i'll mention the other one is no, I, hold on so if you're if you're listening that's the exegetical commentary in the new testament, new testament by, by mark, mark strauss. strauss yeah yeah okay and it's on mark and then uh, we'll we'll put links in the yeah we'll show it when by we i mean ryan yep but, there you uh, go that's exactly that's <laughs> that is true that is an empirical so, truth so the other the other book I'll mention, and I mention this all the time, is I used to use this as a text for freshmen, uh, but it's it's the um, it's the Holman uh, uh, Bible Atlas, uh, and it's by a guy named Briscoe B R I S C O, um, and it, it's more than just a book of maps, right? There's there's two versions of it. One of them is is just just the maps, but the one I'm talking about is 150 pages or something like that. Lots of pictures, lots of diagrams. 
and tons of maps. And it is just a good reference. If, if you had to have, if you can only have one reference on your shelf next to your Bible, that might be the one I would recommend. Uh, and the reason is it's, it's, he also talks about like these groups like Pharisees and Herodians and, and Sadducees and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so those, those two are really helpful if the, if you're trying to make these kind of connections, the maps, by the way, go all the way back to, to Genesis. It's Genesis through revelation. Really? Wow. Uh, it, it traces the whole chronology. So it has the seven churches in revelation. It has Paul's missionary journeys. It has the gospels. It also has the divided kingdom. Lots of really attractive pictures. They did a really nice job. The reason it's, you know, probably 25, 30 years old, probably, well, probably making me feel older now. It's old. It's an old book, but it, it, they did a really excellent job with the, with the pictures and the, and the maps and everything. I think it shows a lot of really cool things. The, yeah. the other thing, I, and this isn't such a big deal in Mark, but some of the old Testament stories, the, the geographic, they actually show the maps kind of in 3d relief. And, and so just seeing the way the mountains were and, and yeah. the valleys and this kind of thing are important for understanding the battles. And it's, it's pretty interesting for that. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, so that stuff will be in the show notes, and that kind of leads me as we're kind of wrapping up the episode yeah. here. I want to say I'm going to say don't call this a comeback, but the email newsletter from the Bible Bistro oh, yeah. is is being reborn. Okay, being it's not a comeback because we never left. Is that? Uh, yeah, it, I just <laughs> left for a, a long extended break, uh, but we're going to be bringing that back. And in, as Brian and I have alluded, there's some new stuff coming. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you're not on the email newsletter list, and yeah. the reason I'm saying this is if you follow us on Facebook or you follow us on Instagram, um, we are controlled by Facebook and Instagram. And so even though if you follow us and like our page, you may not be getting everything uh, that we put out there. So right now we're putting out um, past episodes and so forth, but we're realizing, you know, just not a lot of people are getting are being able to see it. So yeah. uh, we want to make the, the email newsletter like our main way of communicating. Uh, and so if you'd like to be a part of that, when we would like for you to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, and we'll kind of hint you in on some early things that are going to be coming out from us here soon. You can go to our website, thebiblebistro.com, and there is a link, link at the top, I believe at the top or at the bottom. By the time you, by the time this hits the airwaves, there will, will be a button. be at the top or the bottom. Top or the bottom. <laughs> there will be a button that you can click on, uh, a form you can fill out to join our email newsletter list. It will not be spammy. We will only send you relevant information about episodes and guests we that are coming up. We won't sell your information. I'm not a say. seller of information. Um, and uh, we will, you know, some of the, the stuff that we got coming out, some of it's going to be, I think, as we're preparing for, the again, that Jody Owens uh, retreat coming up, some, some stuff out of there. Uh, and some stuff of our own that we've been working on um, that uh, we hope that you will use, uh, that they'll be useful to you, maybe individually or in your church in a small group. So I just went and checked uh, real quick. It's at the bottom of the page right now. Maybe we'll move it to the top. I so. will move it to the top. I will move it everywhere. You will know <laughs> how to sign up for both, the emails later. Both top and bottom. Yeah. It'll be right next to the Patreon. So if you've missed yeah, that, you that'll be up there too. Yeah, maybe so. you accidentally click on the Patreon. Yeah, just too, accidentally so. click on you know, Patreon to, to support us as well. We'd appreciate that. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Yeah, good to talk to you, Ryan. Yeah, this is great. The great, Good. great, great content. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with Mark chapter nine. nine. Number nine. Number no, nine. Number nine. Johnny five. All right. All right. See you. See you later. Bye. Bye.